You're listening to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a podcast focused on mental health, addiction, treatment, recovery, and all things related to personal improvement and wellness. Don't worry, we're not here to talk about problems without solutions, and we're definitely not here to talk about struggles without success. So come with your problems, leave with our solutions. We'll just start real light, man. Just I know you talked to Ian about this, but I appreciate you coming in here. People don't realize we're we're filming on the Super Bowl Sunday. So, you know, this is like for guys, you know, this is a heavy sacrifice to get in here. We're supposed to be pre-gaming and getting ready for, I don't know, man, who are you cheering for, the Eagles or the Chiefs or where are you going? You don't care? I'm a hockey guy, yeah. Okay. Yeah, who's your, who's your hockey team then? Uh, the Detroit Red Wings. They're not doing so well right now, but I'm I'm still a fan. So I remember back in the day, you might not remember this, you're a little, you're slightly younger than me, but back when the, the Red Wings and the Avalanche used to get it on, that, that was like awesome. That was- yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I was a kid. It's, uh, Iserman and, uh, Joe Sackick and, you know, those kind of Forsberg, those kinds of dudes. Yeah, for sure. Patty Waugh. And then you guys had an insane goaltender as well. Goalkeeper or whatever you call it. Uh, goalie, uh, Hasek, was it? Yeah, yeah, we had we had Osgood and we had Dominic Hasek. Uh, we actually had them uh, together, I believe, one year. That might have been like 2000, 2008 or something. But yeah, we've had, I mean, Manny Legacy. Uh, yeah, uh, Cujo, Curtis Joseph. A lot of like really good goaltenders. You guys are like an embarrassment, like the Braves, like just good pitcher after good pitcher after good pitcher. You know what I mean? It's like most organizations, they get like one of those guys and it's like they build a statue and you're like, guys, yeah, we had a couple of them back there, you know, so just a couple of Hall of Famers walking around. So. so did you play? Like, did you grow up playing hockey and everything? Yeah, no, I actually, um, I started playing hockey. Well, I don't know if playing hockey, but I started skating when I was three years old. And then that went into hockey at age like four and five and uh, did that all the way up until like middle school. And then for some reason, I just got into track. I was always playing in my brother's league. So I was like moving up in age. Maybe I didn't, I don't know, see a lot of potential playing with like older kids or something. Yeah. No. So they did that a lot when we were growing up too. Like if you could play a little bit, they always wanted to move you up. And um, I think it's interesting from a this isn't really the topic, but from an athletic development standpoint, I think it's pretty swell. But I also think from a, a social standpoint, it's very interesting because then you're you're 12 years old, 13 years old in a locker room with like 16-year-olds. And, uh, you know, socially, I don't know if those, those, those two ages are in the same place. You get exposed to some stuff that you might not otherwise, you know, so. Oh, yeah. No, I was definitely like the little brother. I mean, you just knew I was in. Plus, I was really bad on the ice, too. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. And you had brothers, so obviously you're being exposed and brought along at their pace anyway, so. That's that's cool. So that's great. So and that's this is all in Michigan. So you grew up in Michigan and that's, you know, that's where this all took place. And what what was life like growing up in Michigan during that time? Um, I mean, life was pretty good. I, I know we're going to talk a lot about, uh, you know, like like social anxiety and stuff and like awkwardness, quietness, my story. But like I was kind of a quiet kid when I was younger, but I did um, have a pretty normal childhood. I, uh, I played with like the neighborhood kids and stuff, played backyard football. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I had a pretty good upbringing. Uh, Grozeal, the place where I grew up is actually considered, or one year it was considered like the safest place in Michigan. And then, um, but if you go across the, it's actually a little Island off the East coast of Michigan, but if you go across the bridge, then it's like, I mean, you get into certain places like Trenton, Allen Park, Detroit, 
Um, so there's a lot of different uh, cultures around if you if you just go from city to city. Yeah, the joke was the joke that was in my head there was like you guys beat Detroit and Flint, so that's like a high bar to get over to be the safest city in Michigan because you kind of like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and trust me, growing up in Ohio, we had some of that too, right? Like if you were like safer than downtown Dayton or Cincinnati or Cleveland, it's like okay, well, not exactly a difficult uh, <laughs> thing to accomplish. So yeah, so you you kind of tipped your hand there a little bit and talked a little bit about social anxiety and that being part of your story and. Um, so, I mean, does that go back into your childhood? When did you first like think about social issues or social anxiety being part of something you had to deal with? When did you first notice that? Uh, growing up, like I said, it was, it was pretty normal. I hung out with people. Uh, I had a normal friend group, I think around like late middle school is when it started. And I was actually, I was thinking about this before this podcast and the other day, I was thinking like, where did it actually all start? I had like a natural inclination to be kind of quiet and introverted, but I think it started with um, just staying inside a lot, you know, staying inside, discovering, uh, well, discovering internet pornography was probably part of it. Also video games. I stayed inside and played video games all through high school and didn't go to a lot of parties. And when I did go to a lot of parties, it was very nerve wracking. I think a big, in big part, because I just wasn't used to it. So that's kind of when that started. So we're talking like middle school age and and just internet access and more time on the video games and just kind of becoming from a hobby that starts chewing up more of your time, more of your attention. Like when did it when did it start becoming an issue, right? Because the idea of like, well, a kid plays video games, that's not a problem by itself. Or, you know, kids check out things on the internet. Like obviously we want to be careful with that, but generally that's not a problem. When did it crossover from like interest to hobby to like problem for you? I actually don't know. When I, when I think about it, it seemed to happen very quickly. Uh, I think once I discovered like the internet and once I discovered I could play video games online with my friends instead of going outside with like a, a couple friends online, I think it just happened really quickly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can remember when I was like 12 or 13 in middle school, I wasn't that nervous to like talk to new people. I mean, I was kind of shy, wasn't like super nervous, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. When I was like, when I was like 14, 15, all of a sudden it was like, okay, if, if I get on a date or if like a friend sets me up with like a date with a girl, I'm like incredibly nervous. Can't even, I can hardly look at her. can't like hold her hand. My hand's all sweaty. So it might've been also going into high school, that pressure of like, oh, you got to get dates now. You got to get a girlfriend. So even at 14, you were kind of aware of that. You felt that social pressure. and Yeah. I, I don't know how aware I was, but yeah, I definitely felt it for sure. And that's such an interesting thing. Cause um, you know, I don't know how old are you now? I mean, you look pretty young, so. 28, almost 29. You're fit and stuff. So maybe that, you know, you look younger, but like, so when you get to like my age and you have kids and you become like old, like all the old people are like terrified of video games and like the internet, right? Like I'm just telling you, like at the at the old guy cafe where we have like our, you know, our coffee and our hash browns and sit and talk about how the world's falling apart. Like that's the stuff that comes up, right? Like all the kids these days, man, they're on apps, they're on social media, they're on the internet, they don't know how to connect with people. So it's like funny to talk about that from like an old guy perspective, but like you had some of that experience, like it became real for you, like um, where that did invade and it did become a problem. Was there any, um, 
warnings about that or awareness of that? Like, did people talk about like that? Or is it just sort of like a naive time and you just kind of stumbled into it, you know? I think I stumbled into it because during that time, I, I mean, I didn't grow up with a smartphone. I, I didn't get a smartphone until I was 18. So I had like, uh, I think a flip phone or slide phone through high school that you had to, it took like an, it took like 10 minutes to type out a text message because you, you had to like hit one button three times or whatever. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think I kind of, uh, like I remember AOL instant messenger being a thing when I was in middle school. And then all of a sudden call of duty became a hit when I was in high school. Uh, people, I started going on the internet a lot around 13, 14, 15. I really think I stumbled into it. I think I was in the generation where growing up, like I didn't grow up with a lot of technology other than like N64, but like it got really, really, um, complicated. Like technology did by the time I was 18. Yeah. It's like Pandora's box kind of opened and we didn't really know that there were negative effects. It just seemed awesome you know, and convenient and easy. And now it's not taking three clicks. And I mean, you're talking to a guy who carried a beeper around high school, right? So like, I mean, it's true. Um, so yeah, for sure. So when we talk about it being a problem, right? So I, I want to hear a little bit more about it because I hear nervousness and I hear anxiety and I hear, an, you know, an adult looking back saying, yeah, this caused problems for me, but I'm interested in what, you know, those problems it caused beyond like just kind of feeling socially awkward. Like, you know, what was the cost? I mean, cause you know, there's a concept out there right now that people talk about cheap dopamine, right? So all of these things, you get a little bit of a dopamine hit, you get a serotonin uptake, uh, uptick, sorry. So pornography is a big one. You know, the, the, the gaming can be that. And there's a real sort of temptation with the cheap dopamine. Like, is it good for us to get that if it's not earned, right? So normally you go out, you go through the nervousness, you hold the girl's hand, boom, dopamine, right? You don't have to go through all that difficulty on the front end. So, I'm curious as what the cost was for you and, you know, what you were feeling outside of just that nervousness, like what problems did this create for you? Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I got an outside perspective on, cause I, I remember talking to a girl that I wasn't really nervous around. I was friends with her and she said that a guy would uh, text her a lot or like message her online a lot. But when she saw him in person, it was like the dude was silent and that was happening a lot. I think with shy people, that I was peers with in high school that was happening with me. So you're right. I mean, you do get a dopamine hit. I remember like getting text messages from girls and I'm like, sweet, I'm talking to this girl. But it's like, if you have a conversation over text messenger or like over text and you never see her in person, what are you actually getting? So the the huge cost is like actual uh, human contact, I think is like, that's like the big cost. It's almost like you cost yourself those developmental opportunities, right? Which creates a, a, a deeper hole to dig out of, right? So I'm, I'm lacking some of that confidence or I'm lacking some of those skills on the front end. You almost find a workaround, right? You find a way to get the cheese that doesn't come with learning how to do the maze, right? And so now you're even less equipped to do it as life goes on and it's more required and more expected, right? Because you get older, it's sort of expected that you would develop those social skills and be able to manage that. And you're like... I'm still a rookie here. I haven't gone through that developmental stuff. I had this idea when I was like 15 or 16 that when I was 23, all of a sudden I was going to be confident because 23 year olds are just confident, you know, when you're in your twenties. But, um, when I was 22 and 23, I was still like nervous. So I, yeah, that kind of, uh, it kind of backfired on me just like waiting like that. Um, and just having this idea that I'll be confident when I'm in my twenties, it's, but it's like, no, yeah, you're right. You have to like, kind of, you have to actually develop it. 
So at around, at around 22, I kind of had to go into overdrive developing those social skills. Well, I'm glad you went there because that's what I, I was curious about next was sort of like, you know, because you don't, you don't seem excessively anxious or shy or nervous right now. And I, so obviously things have changed for you. Um, so what was that process? What did you do about it? And like, what triggered you to like, okay, I've got to do something about this, you know, like, how did it change? Uh, well, it started, I mean, when I was like 17, 18, 19, people were calling me uh, awkward. And I was just like, huh, okay, I guess I'm awkward. And then um, <laughs> we can get into that, like the self acceptance around 19, because that was actually a big part of my journey. But when I was like, like up until 22, I realized that um, I really didn't have social skills. And I was I was very, very anxious in social situations. And the thing that put me over the edge was like, or that made me make a change was just being 22, studying to be an athletic trainer. I'm almost graduated. And I'm like making athletes uncomfortable because I'm working with like the softball team, massaging their shoulder, and I'm really shy about it. And they don't feel like I'm comfortable doing it. Like I'm just uncomfortable around people, like working with people. So I was like, damn, if I'm going to be an athletic trainer or if I'm going to have a job where I'm communicating with people a lot, uh, my life's going to suck. <laughs> like, I mean, I have a brother. He's probably going to get married someday. I might be his best man speaking at the wedding. I don't want to like have a panic attack speaking in front of people. <laughs> so something's got to change. Uh, I think I saw that future and I was like, I'm not headed down a good road. I need to build social skills. So that's what then propelled me to start um, facing those fears and starting to get over it. I think that's pretty good awareness for a, a 19 to 22 year old guy to be thinking forward and to be considering his future and going like, I'm not equipped. Like, you know, I'm not going to be ready for that. You know, um, that's interesting to think about that. So it sounds like from your story, 22 is when it kind of got serious in terms of the development side, but 19 was a place of like internal self-acceptance. I mean, tell me more about that. You said 19 was the time when I really focused on self-acceptance. So what was that like? Yeah. So like <clears throat> everybody was labeling me as like awkward, you know, this word like awkward. I was like awkward. Why am I awkward? I started thinking about that. Um, I started noticing girls that I was talking to would like, just kind of like chuckle, like I was getting like brushed off. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So around like, I, it started to get to me that people were calling me awkward. Like it, it really, uh, like it got to me and I, I was talking to Ian a couple of days ago about this. And I think maybe in high school, I was kind of, I was judged more for it in college. It was more just like, people were like, Oh, he's awkward. So around 19, the self-acceptance was, um, my friend showed me this YouTube channel. He was like, dude, stop beating yourself up about being awkward. He showed me this YouTube channel of the, one of those pranksters, those YouTube pranksters that does like awkward pranks. And this was kind of an awkward guy. That's why he did the pranks. Cause it was just funny to, for him to put himself in social situations and be awkward, you know, like randomly holding people's hands and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> So I was looking at that and at the end of the videos, sometimes he would get a girl's number and I was like, this dude's like awkward though. And he's just getting girls numbers. So I started to think to myself, well, maybe, maybe there's nothing like wrong with me. Maybe I can just accept the fact that I'm awkward. It's just who I am. And, um, that, that was a big turning point for me. Cause then, you know, I, I could just be awkward and it was fine. So was it about, was it about seeing an example of somebody else who was awkward and they're doing okay. That was like, I'll be okay. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. It gave me like permission to be awkward almost because somebody else was doing it and they were fine. And then, yeah. I'm interested in that though on the, on the labeling side, because I think, um, identity is such a huge piece of this whole mental health, uh, puzzle. Right. And so how we identify, I think, I think winners find a way to win, right? Like if you see yourself as a winner, you're going to win eventually. You know, it's like the old, like Abraham Lincoln story. Like he lost every election all the way up and down the line and was like fired from all these jobs. And I don't know, he like screwed everything up until he became like one of the greatest men like in the world, right? And I, I think that the inverse is true too. I think we have to be very careful with labels because if you see yourself as a loser, like you're going to find a way to lose. Like I think there's nothing more powerful to our brain than to say, I knew it, right? Because it gives us a sense that there's order that we've, figured it out that we can kind of see around the corner and it's very comforting, even if it's bad for us. Right. So like if I, if I identify myself as a, as a bleep up or an, I'm no good. Once I get that confirmation uh, that I'm not good, it's like, I knew it, I knew it. And that's oddly comforting. You get the dopamine thing. So I'm, I want to talk about that labeling a little bit. So when people were like throwing that label at you, did you, could you said something like, I wondered why I was awkward. Did you ever challenge it? Like, I wonder if they're right or did you sort of just accept the label? Uh, I, well, I accepted it because everybody was saying it. <clears throat> I didn't, I don't, I don't think I accepted it at, well, at first I accepted it as an identity. Um, but then later on I realized I could get less awkward by building social skills. But that that is very interesting what you said, because I do notice a lot of people, you know, if we get into like social anxiety, I do notice a lot of people, if I'm on the comments of like a YouTube video or something about social anxiety, um, some people will say, yeah, I can't go outside <clears throat> because of my social anxiety. And they identify with it. And they're like, that's why I can't go outside. And it's like, in my head, I'm like, well, no, you have social anxiety, but maybe if you go outside, it would get better. It would start to go away. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, I think that's a huge thing with we, you know, in my generation, we started attacking the stigma of mental health. Like it's not okay to like target these people or disparage people for having mental health issues. Like we all have mental health issues and, and we should talk about it. One of my fears is that we've talked about it so much that now it's almost like a new identity for people. They can embrace that. Right. Cause when you're 14, 15, 16, you're just trying to figure out where you fit and you know, where do I belong? And and that kind of stuff. And, um, if you belong with the people who are, who have anxiety or depression or things like that, that's something that you can deal with, but it's a transient condition. It's not who you are, but I see people carrying it as a label, right? Like my, I can't go outside. My anxiety won't let me, or I'm, you know, somebody with anxiety. And so it's almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where they just have to reinforce that label. So, you know, you're getting that feedback um, from multiple people. You know, why, why do you think, why do you think you did? get that feedback from multiple people? Was it just the gestures and the behaviors or what were you? Cause it's interesting that relationship too, that people were picking up on your awkwardness, right? Because as an awkward guy, you probably didn't want people picking up on much, but they were picking up on the awkwardness. So why do you think they were dialing into that? It's funny. Cause like, you know, when you meet like a really nice person who is kind of gentle and you don't want to say something to them that would hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ian, he's a nice guy. I, that's how I think about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, so we don't want to hurt somebody like that. And like, uh, sorry, Ian, but <laughs> we protect Ian at all costs. Yes. But, uh, I think like a lot of the people at, at college, they didn't really realize it was going to hurt me. Like, I don't think they actually thought that. I think they were just saying it because 
like I actually was awkward, you know, like I would walk in uh, to a room. I'd be like, uh, so Hey guys. So, you know, I was like awkward. Um, so that's why they were saying it. And I think, uh, yeah, they were just saying it matter of factly. So instead of like shy, which would have been a more benign label, you get hit with awkward and it's like something's wrong. So, so you found an example of another guy who's awkward and he's doing okay. That helps you get to a place where like, okay, so what if I am, I can accept that. Like I still have options. Life can still be good for me. So, um, how did things start to change for you then? Was it just the the simple acceptance that kind of allowed change to happen or did you do things actively to create change for yourself? Uh, that, that's a good question. I think it was both because <clears throat> once I was like, okay with being awkward, I lived in a co-ed dorm. So there were like, there were people everywhere. Oh, that's not gonna, That's not going to flare up your awkwardness at all. That's gonna be great. There's just, yeah, like, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> perfect environment. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I had girls living across the hall from me. Um, and they already knew I was like kind of awkward, but like, yeah, once, once I saw that YouTuber now, like, okay, I'm accepting myself. I remember like walking over to their room and I just like, you know, instead of, you know, shyly just being like, can I say hi or can I not? Like, are you guys like, I was, I just like popped my head in. I was like, Hey, what's up? What are you guys doing? And then (laughs) I, I just started talking and I didn't really care if I was awkward. And then they invited me in. I think they just sensed that I was chill and I was now just, yeah, I was more chill. Um, I was definitely accepting myself more. And there was one night actually where I went out. Normally I relied heavily on alcohol in college to like feel confident. Um, but this particular night I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop drinking. We were drinking like boxed wine or something, something really cheap. And I had like maybe two or three drinks. I was just slightly buzzed and I like stopped myself and I was like, that's it. I don't even need this anymore. And I like go out and I'm like walking up to girls at, at this party and I just walk up and I'm, I'm, I'm almost mimicking the, the guy that I saw on YouTube. Yeah, and I'm of course. Just like, yeah. And I just walk up and I'm just like, Hey, do you want to go on a date with me? And the girls are like confused. They're like, what? They're just going to ask me that. And I'm just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I just like embrace it. And I did that like a couple of times, no matter what happened. Um, I ended up getting like, from what I remember, I think it was like six or seven phone numbers that night. Uh, not all of them texted back, obviously, but still it was like, okay, I was getting girls' phone numbers. I th- I think I remember making out with a girl that night as well. And also just like talking to people, I, I was just like free, you know, it-, it was like a very free feeling where I wasn't judging myself. And um, I mean, if you want to talk about like a little bit of dating too, that being congruent and just walking up and being like, Hey, you want to go on a date with me? And then the girl, the girl's kind of confused, but you just kind of hold the frame and you're just like, yeah, you're just, you're cute. I want to go on a date with you. <laughs> like that's. I imagine those girls mistaking you for like the most confident person on the planet. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. in that moment, right? Like who, <laughs> who could be so confident to just like walk up and say exactly what they're thinking? You know what I mean? And, and you're on the other side of the experience, like <laughs> playing a role, like, you know what I mean? Like almost inviting disaster, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's such a funny dynamic because, you know, what you may have been feeling internally, you were just being received in a different way and that success reinforced it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> it's hard to hold on to that too. Cause obviously that it happened really fast, the whole like self-acceptance thing. And, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I didn't maintain that. 
uh, I had to like for the next couple of years, I had to then find a new avenue of being more confident because it wasn't just a matter of like, okay, I'm awkward. Everything's okay. I accept myself. Then it was like, you know, uh, there were, there were more hurdles after that, that I had to start, um, facing. Well, let, let's talk through that a little bit, because I think, you know, one of the things that's the benefit of this podcast is people who are listening, who may be struggling with the same stuff. I love it when they get little tips to try, right? And that may be one is like, hey, you know, just put yourself out there, accept your awkwardness, lean into it, right? You know, um, Albert Ellis, who was the founder and developer of rational mode of behavioral therapy, crippling social anxiety. So he would take himself kind of a similar story. He you know, took himself to the train station and I don't know what the time frame was. It might have been every week. He had to like ask a hundred girls for their phone number, right? And he he was like, you know, he would get like three, but he would like go home at the end of the week, like that was the greatest week ever. I got three numbers, right? He noticed he didn't think about the 97, you know, no's. And this is a guy like, I can't speak to anybody, right? So that's one of his famous stories. And what develops out of that is this idea that anything you move towards, you kind of gain power over, but anything you avoid gains power over you, right? So you've, you've taken that first step and you've moved into the discomfort and you're experiencing some success, but how does it continue to develop? What are the next hurdles and what was the steps that you took to facilitate your continued development? I, well, I think at first, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I convinced myself like the next year that I, my awkwardness was gone because I accepted it. And now I'm like completely okay in social situations, but then inevitably, you know, you run into life. Like I, I was becoming an athletic trainer. So I had to do a lot of work in the lab. I was like taping my classmates ankles. We're doing, uh, you know, like muscle manipulation on our like shoulders and everything. I I was in close proximity with people all the time. So yeah, I was basically in social environments, like all the time, you know, not not just the the parties and whatnot. Uh, So I, I guess I just realized that okay just accepting being awkward is not like good enough if i actually want to go on a date with a girl there's like more skills involved with that obviously <laughs> um so yeah the next the next big thing i did was around 22 uh, like i said um I, I realized i was making people uncomfortable at that age uh i realized i was going to have a lot of social situations in my future and i was just in a lot of social situations at that point. Um, you mentioned that that's a pretty young age to be self-aware. I think it was honestly just like forced, uh, on me. Cause like, you know, what choice do you have? Do you, do you just continue making people uncomfortable or do you, um, well, some people do. What's that? Some people do continue on. I guess that's fair. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny, we're lighthearted about it, but anxiety, social anxiety, uh, agoraphobia, things like that. Like these, these are truly things that people will spend their entire life dealing with some will. Right. And, and some will never conquer that. You know, I mean, um, I'm, I've, I've worked as a therapist for a long time. I've seen, you know, dudes in their forties and fifties come in and say exactly what you're saying. Like, I'd like to have a partner. I have no idea how to get started or, you know, I've built this career, but I've always been held back because I can't overcome these hurdles. So, I mean, it's easy to kind of like, like I said, be lighthearted about it, but to do this at 1922 is such a, a blessing and a benefit because uh, people do. They throw their entire lives at these situations. They stay stuck in these patterns forever. I mean, it happens forever. There are people who are going to die with social anxiety. There are people who die, you know, having never truly connected. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I don't say that as a throwaway compliment. It's true. It's it's amazing you got work on, got working on it so early. You know. So anyway, no. Yeah, no. I'm glad you said that though, because I um, I mean, for that guy who's thinking like, oh man, I don't know how to overcome it, or maybe I'm gonna have to deal with this for the rest of my life. <clears throat> I mean, I imagine for that guy, because this is how it was like for me. It's there's little like micro embarrassments and inconveniences in life. Like you just get incredibly nervous before parties or social gatherings. You um, embarrass yourself in like daily conversation. Cause like you're trying to act cooler than you are. And then you say something weird and then you're like, Oh shit, why did I say that? Like, I don't know. I, that That's what it was for me. I just, <laughs> I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And then it, yeah. Um, or I was trying to act more confident than I was. And I, I just, I want to say to the guy who is thinking like, oh shit, maybe I'm going to deal with this for the rest of my life. When I started approaching girls on my college campus at 22 and just putting myself in more social situations in general, even like joining a public speaking club eventually, like it, it was embarrassing because like I would get up in front of the class at the public speaking place, the public speaking class it was actually Toastmasters. Uh, and I was like shaking and awkward and like, it was it was kind of embarrassing, but the benefit of that, like that one day or that one month, maybe if you're doing a bunch of speeches that month of embarrassment is worth the lifetime of having that experience of just exposing yourself to an audience of people being embarrassed and then realizing it doesn't even matter. Like you can embarrass yourself and it's fine because it alleviates so much anxiety in the future. Um, and when I would approach girls, Another way that I would be open, this is when I was like 22, I would walk up and <clears throat> I was so nervous. The first thing I started asking girls was like, what's, you know, my phone died. Do you have the time? Okay, thank you. Or, hey, do you know where thank the you, library goodbye. <laughs> Thank what's you, that? goodbye. You're like, thank you, goodbye. Like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. got my answer. Yes. So, sorry to bother like, you. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> run away as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. The next thing was just like uh, asking for directions. But then I would start to like progressively overload like in the gym. Um, Chief, uh, you look like you go to the gym. Yeah, well, sometimes. Not as much as I need to, but yeah. If I had an athletic trainer, he'd be very disappointed in me, but I get in there sometimes, so yeah. So yeah, so there's like progressive overload, right? Where you're like, you're putting these, uh, you're like putting more weight on the bar and then your muscles get bigger. That's almost like what I did with social situations. It was like, um, you know, I'll go up, I would ask for directions. She would give me the directions and then I would stay for an extra second and just be like, yeah, I really like your shirt, by the way. Yeah, have a nice day. And then I would move on. And then um, when I got a little bit more ballsy, then I, I started like just walking up and being straight up telling girls I thought they were attractive. And then if I could keep a conversation going for like another minute or so. Uh, another thing I did was um, walked up and I was really vulnerable about the fact that I was working on my confidence. And like a lot of people don't realize you can just walk up to people and just be completely honest with them and just be like, Hey, what's up? I'm looking to meet people. I'm trying to overcome social anxiety. I'm trying to be more confident. What's your name? What's your story? Like every single time I've done that, if the person wasn't busy and in a hurry, because sometimes you meet people that are just in a hurry or they have, they're nervous themselves and they just don't want to talk to you. Uh, if you meet somebody who's outgoing, like I, I can't remember a single time when somebody wasn't receptive to that. Like, you know, it's not a good it's not like the perfect dating strategy. You're not going to attract a lot of girls walking up and saying, 
hey, I'm working on my confidence. I'm really shy. Some you might, but like overall, it's it's you being open and not being afraid to like be yourself. So that's that was a huge thing for me was just walking up and just being like telling people straight up what I was doing and then making conversation with them. Like, where are you from? What's your major? What do you study? And then that that was like what really started killing off the um, social anxiety and started, I started building social skills too. I, I love that you made the gym analogy. Cause I was actually sitting here thinking about that. Like if you want to be strong, it's going to require for you to feel weak a lot, right? Because you put a hundred pounds on the bar, you can lift it. You put 125. Now you can't, you feel weak. You come back, your muscles have gotten stronger. Now 125, 150, on and on and on. But every one of those boxes that you check on your way to strong is a failure. You, you, you fail at the weight and you go do your accessory exercises and build up and then you come back. Right. And I think it's the same thing in life with all of our endeavors. Like you, you want to be successful, like get prepared to fail like a lot and identify that failure as developmental, you know, check marks. Like these are steps on my developmental, not failures. Like, you know, you, 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 you wash out, you can't bench 275. Doesn't mean you can't ever. It means you couldn't today and you continue development and you come back at it. The other thing that I think is a really important theme that you're, you're, you keep touching on is this idea of congruence, that the more that you were sort of honest about who you were and where you were in your process, the more favorable response you got. And a lot of your like washout stories are like, I tried to be somebody I wasn't, or I was pretending to be. And it's just so strange how as humans, we have an ability to pick up on that inauthenticity and like, this isn't real something's not matching here, right? Like he's trying to be a cool guy, but like he's staring at his shoes and like, he just doesn't have the vibe. You can't really put your finger on it, right? Like he's just not, this isn't true. And, and so they reject it because it's not true. And even a less cool thing to say, like, hey, I'm struggling with social anxiety and I'm trying to develop, would you help me? It's like, okay, there's a match. His body language, his tone, his energy matches. So I'm comfortable engaging with that. So I don't know, I, is that continue to be true for you as you've been more congruent and more honest about how, where you are in your process and what's really going on with you. You continue to get those favorable outcomes and. Oh yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, every single time that, like you said, humans, we underestimate human or people's ability to just like see us for who we are. Like there's no hiding, you know? Um, so after actually after 22, cause like 22 to 28 now, that's kind of a long time. Uh, I have dealt with that problem again. And it was when I got into learning uh, pickup, you know, when I started learning some attraction techniques with girls, I started again, not really being myself. I think people have to be really, um, really careful with being somebody they're not. They have to be really careful learning things like pickup uh, or, you know, what, what dating advice they take online because I mean, I've, I've tried a lot. I've gone out, I've talked to a lot of girls. I've talked to a lot of people. But whenever I come back to just who I really am and embracing who I am, like like me, Troy, my life situation, who I am, and just bringing that to the table, that's when I actually have connections with people. And that's when people accept me and they feel comfortable around me as opposed to, yeah, me just tr whether it's trying to act cool, trying to act like somebody I'm not, or yeah, like or exaggerating who I am. Before we go on, I want to say a few words about a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of mental health and substance abuse services in Ohio and New Hampshire. 
That means that a new can successfully treat mental health and substance abuse issues or dual diagnosis if you're struggling with both. Their integrated approach allows for them to successfully address issues related to anxiety, depression, addiction, trauma, and really anything that stands between your life and the life you could be living. You really cannot bring them an issue that they have not successfully treated. They have also solved one of the biggest problems for people seeking help. They have a dedicated team waiting to hear from you at helpnow at anewbh.com. If you contact them today, within 24 hours, you will have heard back from, wait for this, a real live person and will also have your first appointment scheduled at that time. So how do you contact them? Well, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably close to one of their local locations. You're welcome to go in. If not, you can always reach them online at anewbh.com. And if you're interested in services for you or loved one, use that address, helpnow at anewbh.com. A lot of your benchmarks, this is just sort of an observation, but like a lot of your benchmarks um, that you're sharing tend to have uh, something to do with, you know, connecting with girls like opposite sex and being able to build relationships. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to like sort of how that develops as the focus, right? So is that because I struggled to connect with girls early on that now being able to is a big benchmark and an obvious benchmark of progress. Do you think it's influenced by the early um, issues with like internet and pornography? Do you think that feeds into it? Like this is what a confident, successful guy looks like and can do. Uh, or do you, you know, or is there a third option I'm not thinking of? Like where, you know, where did that focus on being able to connect? You said pick up, being able to form relationships, dating. Um, how did that kind of become the scorecard or the, uh, you know, the way in which you measure your progress? Like you, you, you said you're married, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, so I, you know, people get married, they're in relationships, but all the single guys listening to this, they're probably, they probably want girlfriend. They probably want um, to be in a relationship with somebody, maybe not, but I think there's, there's two aspects of it. There's one is like the social pressure of, uh, okay, you got to get girls, you got to be this cool guy. If you're not getting a certain amount of dates when you're single, or if you don't have a girlfriend, you're not cool. (laughs) But then there's like the real stuff, which is like, people just value, uh, human connection and people value relationships. So I think it naturally develops because, um, at first the priority was, I just got to stop being awkward. Like I'm uncomfortable around everybody. I just got to be comfortable around people. But then, um, I remember when I was 22, like it, it just led to that. Uh, like once I was comfortable approaching people, I, I tried approaching guys on my college campus. It just felt kind of weird <laughs> approaching a guy like, Hey, what's up? I'm overcoming social anxiety. And he's like, uh, Okay, bro. <laughs> yeah, thanks. yeah. So like with girls, it just kind of worked better and it made more sense. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I guess it is kind of more normal for a guy to approach a girl. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I eventually started just hitting it off with certain girls. Like, cause I remember this one girl who I started going on a couple dates with after approaching a bunch of girls. I didn't really, all I cared about was being more confident. But then I met this girl who um, was kind of shy like me. So that opportunity kind of arose in front of me where I, I now could connect with somebody who was kind of like me, kind of on my level. She's kind of shy too. And we just naturally hit it off. And I think just naturally going from like, once I overcame the fear of approaching people and meeting people, it's like, what's next? You know, I could, I can make more friends. I can start getting dates. Uh, and I, 
I started to try to make more friends like in class at parties and stuff. But when it came to approaching, it was like, it just makes sense to approach girls. And if I hit it off with one, just try to get a date. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an easy marker for success too, right? Like uh, to flip it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the 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 sort of um, stereotypical, you know, women like men with money, right? Like that's a fairly accepted idea. But it's not so much the money we find out. It's it's the competence. It's the confidence. It's the ability to get things done, you know, uh, the provider type stuff, right? And the ability to accumulate money or status is a marker for that, right? You, you typically, unless you come up with six good numbers, you typically don't accumulate a lot of resources without competence, without, you know, uh, intellectual ability, without the ability to strategize, right? So since we can't measure that, we can measure the output, which is the money or the status, and it becomes a marker. It's not perfect, but it, it helps, right? Um, it's, it's the same, like muscle size for strength. You know, there are guys who, as an athletic trainer, who are probably a little bigger. Guys that are leaner may be stronger than them, but for in general, if there's more muscle mass, there's more strength. It's a marker for that's pretty easily identifiable. So I just think for somebody who's like in a social anxiety or an awkward state, and they go, well, what does a confident guy look like? You know, what does he have? What does he get? And part of that has to be dates and relationships. And so it becomes a marker for, for confidence. It's a way to measure in a way, right? If I weren't so awkward, I'd be able to have. So now as I have those things, it's sort of like self-evident that I'm, I'm less awkward, right? Or I wouldn't be able to do this, you know? So it's a nice kind of circular marker. So it makes all the sense in the world. It's just interesting how that develops, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's hard to measure like how confident you feel. Yeah. Yeah. A scale of one to 10, you, know, you just guess, you know, it's like, I don't know, <laughs> an eight. Great. What does a nine feel like? I don't know. You know? Um, so, so is this something that we talked a little bit before we got started, um, as far as processes. So for like myself having dealt with anxiety in the past, you know, I, I, I do things to kind of help maintain my mental health and my mental state. But I, I, I often wrestle with this idea of like, am I cured? of anxiety or am I just better at managing it and feeling like I'm in a more consistent state? So as far as your status, do you feel like you're over this social anxiety? Do you feel like it's still a work in progress? And if it is, what do you do to kind of maintain that progress? I, I feel like I've, uh, I mean, I feel like I've conquered social anxiety. I still, it's kind of weird. I still get anxiety in certain social situations, but like generally speaking, social anxiety I feel like I've conquered it because if you if you take me and throw me into a bar right now with all new people, a group of new people, like I could just walk up to them and just introduce myself, no problem. You know, I they might like me, they might not. I might say something stupid, I might not, but I could walk up to them, no problem. But if you were to take me right now and put me in front of an audience of like an auditorium full of a bunch of people and I'm speaking on a new topic, I'd probably be really nervous. <laughs> Or if you put me in front of a celebrity that I look up to or something, probably be nervous. So, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, what do I do to like maintain or I, uh, I've struggled with this, like going out and I mean, stuff just like comes up. Um, like I got, I got pretty confident at getting, uh, dates with girls, but then I wasn't so comfortable, like getting intimate with them. Um, or even having like intimate conversations, like being very open and having an emotional connection. That's actually something that I've had to work on in the last year was uh, telling a girl like really how I feel about her, you know, like telling a girl that I like her and risking her not feeling the same way about me because 
you know, as, as a guy, you have to understand that, um, the only way that you're going to have an emotional connection with a girl is by showing her how you feel about her. But at the same time, uh, if she doesn't feel the same way, there might be heartbreak. So in order to get those really good feelings of an emotional connection, you have to deal with the fact that there might be heartbreak with that if it doesn't work out with her. Um, so it's, it's situations like that where I, I try to get a deeper connection with uh, somebody that I'm seeing or even in a friendship or um, put myself in like more intimidating social situations, which is still, I guess, kind of a challenge for me. Well, th this podcast, I don't go on a lot of podcasts, so this this is maybe one. So thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think you're doing great. How do you feel doing it? I mean, you feel like you're conquering this and yeah. Yeah, no, I, I feel good. Um, I kind of came in, I usually come into new things uh, with an attitude of like, all right, well, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to throw myself into the situation and do my best to provide value, but like see how I react, just observe it. That's an interesting com that's an interesting comment you threw in there. I do my best to provide value. Is that a is that a strategy? Is that a mindset? Because I think that's actually very astute. If you go into situations trying to extract and get what you need out of it, you're in that constant tension between lack and accomplishment, right? Like I need this, I need this, I need this, and and I don't think need works out so great. I think wants okay. I think needs dangerous. So how did you develop that provide value uh, outlook on things? Because I think that's pretty pretty smart. Um, I, I think marketing myself on Facebook definitely made me realize that you have to provide value, but also just, you know, talking to girls, talking to new people, you, you have to do something to add something to their life, whether it's an, just an interesting experience or just bringing yourself to the table. I just realized that, uh, if I'm too self-centered and I care too much about what people are thinking of me, things just don't work out that well. But, um, well, I'll give you an example. Even before we started here, when I was talking to Ian, I I was thinking like, oh man, so I'm on this podcast. What are they going to think of me? But then I shifted and I, I asked Ian about his day. I was like, wait, there's other people. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> Get out of your head, Troy. Um, and then I focused on Ian. I asked how his day was. Uh, and I'm yeah, focusing on on you a little bit. I'm learning a little bit about you. I think I just, it's something that I actively do because I, uh, I don't want to be too selfish. I want to, I know that life is just better when you're, when you're focusing on other people and you're, you're giving something. Cause I know that people who are watching this podcast, they're going to want to get something from it. They're going to want to walk away with something or maybe they just want to be entertained, but that's still something that they're getting, you know? Right. No, absolutely. I, I think that's really smart. And I think you, you do have to give to get right. And I think that like a lot of people struggle with, well, how can I, how can I be somebody, you know, how can I, or be with somebody? I'm sorry. How can I, how can I find somebody to be with? How can I find a partner? How can I, and, and a lot of those answers start with, you know, being somebody worth being with, right? Like, well, let's flip that question around. Like, why would somebody want to be with you? What do you bring to the table? You say contribute value. I love that. I think there's there's something to that. There really is. Um, get you out of your own head, focus on the other people, meeting the needs of others. It doesn't mean you become subservient or a constant people pleaser or what can I do for you? What can I do for you? But even just being conscious of other people's experience and and what they're getting out of the situation, I think puts you into a mindset where it, it would be more fun to hang out with somebody like that, right? That it's reciprocal, you know, both people are benefiting. 
Yeah, that I mean, that's it right there is literally just being conscious of it. Like, how is this? How is this person's experience? Because thinking like that, I mean, if you're on a date with a girl, it's very, very, very simple. Um, people should not overthink this. If you schedule the date and you lead, um, if you're like, all right, so we're meeting at this place in this time, that's already giving value. Because like, I mean, women just appreciate a leader. Um, or if you're approaching somebody, you know, you just say, hi, what's up? Like even me, my example on my college campus, like, hey, what's up? I'm overcoming social anxiety. What, where, where are you from? Even a guy walking up to them and saying that, they don't experience that every day. Like it's it's still a unique experience. So yeah, you're right. I mean, even just being conscious of like the other person's experience can help you uh, give value. Have you seen um, additional benefit to this? Because again, there's a lot of focus on on the dating aspect, but I wonder as social anxiety has been kind of knocked down, you're dealing with that, you're becoming more confident. Um, there tend to be sort of extra benefits or ancillary benefits. So has this improved your life in other ways as well, or, or improved your experience of your life as well? Yeah. Cause obviously the dating part is like a, a huge part and it's what I kind of focused on, but well, you're 28, dude, focus on your dating. I mean, that's, that's great. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't get married into my thirties, right? Like it's a huge part of a young man's life. So there's no knock on that. But I, I wonder if there, if it doesn't, I wonder if once that snowball starts rolling downhill, if it doesn't get bigger in other ways as well, you know? Yeah. I, well, yeah, I can tell, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't mention this yet. When I started approaching people on my college campus and just putting myself in more social situations in general, in uh, my college classes, I wasn't like the quiet person anymore. I was actually speaking in class. Like when the professor asked like, all right, who knows the answer? I would like just say something. And uh, I also started taking more initiative in class, like to when they were like, all right, group up with different people. And I'm like, all right, cool. You want to be my partner? You know, I wasn't like waiting around on the side. So it, it definitely, it definitely bled into other areas like that, like the classroom or um, at my job when I, when I eventually became an athletic trainer, uh, yeah, it was, I felt pretty confident. I didn't feel like I had to try to be confident anymore because I had done enough work already where, you know, I could just kind of chill out and I was comfortable around people. Um, also I think it kind of helps with moving to Missouri a year and a half ago when I started working on this business with my friend he um like he persuaded me to move down there i i reached out to him on facebook i don't know if i would have done that if i had never like done all this work to become confident reached out to him we had a bunch of video chats and then i moved down there and moving to a new place i think like i can really relate it back to like approaching girls and accepting that i was awkward and just putting myself into those situations that really like carried over to now it's like, okay, well, I can take this internship in Philadelphia. I went to Philadelphia for three months on an internship at the end of college, uh, moved to Missouri. Um, a couple summers ago, I moved up to around the Traverse city, Michigan area. And I didn't really have any fear about it. I, I was just like, all right, well, I'm used to throwing myself in situations now. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah. It, f- it feels like there's a real freedom that's developing. Um, and a- another thing a 28 year old guy should be doing is, ex- is, gathering new experiences, good and bad, right? You're learning what you like and you're learning what you don't like. And to do that, you know, you're not going to do that from the basement, so to speak, right? You're not going to do that online. Um, so you're, you're able to put yourself out there in a variety of ways. And I think there's some real freedom in that because if it sucks, it sucks. Oh, well, it doesn't shut down your life, but it could be great. You know, it could be awesome. And you're never going to find out. You're never going to know unless you go. 
right? And whether that means go over there and talk to her or whether that means go to Philadelphia, if you don't, if you don't go, you'll never know, you know? And so you're, you're having a lot more opportunity to know now than you probably did at 17 or 18 or 19. Um, so that's great. That's great. So do you find yourself in position to, to share this with other people? Do you work with people? Like, I mean, or is this sort of like personal development and then you sort of share that online? Like, how are you connecting with others in a similar situation or, or are you? So, um, well, I have a, I have a Facebook page, YouTube channel and, uh, Instagram, which I use sometimes, but I, I put messages out to people, posts out to people that can help them. Uh, I've been a dating coach for the last like year and a half, but very, very recently, like this month, like two weeks ago, (laughs) I just started, I created my own offer on just overcoming social anxiety, just being more confident because that's really my area of expertise. Um, that's great. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't want you to give it away. Cause you said it's part of an offer, but what are your, what are kind of, what's the foundation of your approach? Like what, how do you get people started? How do you, you know, what are the common like first steps that you work with people on to get them moving in the right direction? Yeah. So the, the first step is, um, well, I mean, I, I can talk about like my offer or the, the dating coaching that I've been doing for a year and a half, but both. Yeah. Either one you want. Yeah. Yeah, the, the first thing that I typically have guys do that I coach is um, just get the volume in, like stop, stop caring about screwing things up. Because I noticed that people, specifically like people who want to get more dates, if they walk up to one girl and they get rejected, it, some guys are just like crushed by that. Dude, if you walked up to a girl and you had like a 10 second conversation and you've never done that before, I don't care if she like tells you to like get lost like that's a win like you, <laughs> she's probably not going to do that because you're if if you walk up with a genuine intent and you're and you're nice and everything i love that man i, w- I want to stop you for a second i love that measuring the small wins i mean that's such a huge part of what i try to do in my work as well so like on the addiction side i'll have guys who you know using heroin every day of their life i mean just you know long histories of drug abuse and self-abuse and they'll try to stay clean right and they'll come back after a month and be like, you know, I, 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 it worked for a couple of weeks, but then I, I used again. And so I failed. And it's like, hold on a second. When's the last time you went 21 days without using? Like, that's a, that's a miracle, dude. Like, you didn't do that for years. And you're going to come back to me on day 22 and say you failed? Like, no way. Like, you've had so much success there. Now the work's not done, obviously. So I, I just love that you're measuring that in small doses, right? So you couldn't talk to girls at all. You had a 10-second conversation. And I can imagine them like... Yeah, man. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. Yeah, man. It didn't, it didn't go bad. Like you talked to a girl for 10 seconds. Like you wouldn't even approach a girl. Like this is, this is a huge celebration. Like this is a huge marker of your success. I just, as a, as a people, as a, as a humanity, I really think we need to get invested in, in measuring those small wins and making them big wins. And we've got to do a better job of supporting that incremental progress because pe- people find ways to kick their own asses and they find a way to give up. You know, we shouldn't let them do that, especially when they are making tangible progress, you know? So I love that. I just, sorry to interrupt, but I just, I'm, I'm really psyched about that because I think that's what's missing. I think that's great. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That and, uh, those little wins and like also not judging where you're at because you can't, um, you know, you can't hide where you're at. If when I was putting myself in more social situations, I couldn't hide the fact that I, I was shaking (laughs) standing in front of this girl that was just happening. But that was just data, you know, it was observation. So Mm. yeah, the first stuff that we have guys do is like literally just 
approach, you know, five people a day for like the first uh, two weeks. Cause now then they know where they're at. Like they have data. It's like, can you keep like, maybe you are actually pretty smooth and you can keep like a five minute conversation going with a girl. Maybe you even got dates in that time, or maybe you were so nervous and you were only able to say hi. And then you like ran away. Okay. Well that's data, you know, but now we know where you're at. So what do we need to do to just like push it a little bit further? Do you need to go to a different environment? Maybe that mall was too busy or that bar was too busy. Maybe you just need to go to like some chill environment and just the, the first person that I actually ever like approached, not really approached, but like talks to was a cashier at a register because they have to talk to you. They can't walk away. It's great. They're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just asked, I was like, so where, where are you from? And it took a lot for me just to say, where are you from? But like, yeah, so um, that's the first thing that we have guys do is we put them in a situation that they can handle. Um, and most guys can approach a girl. Yes, you're going to be you're going to be nervous. It's going to be intimidating. You might stumble, you might shake, whatever, all that might happen, whatever, but you can probably still do it. Like, if you've got two feet, you can move your feet in front of a girl. And you can you can say words. So that's, that's like, number one. And then um, number two, if you have like peers or a coach or somebody that can give you some feedback or just yourself, you write out what went wrong. You got to look at like, what's actually happening. You got to be very self aware and observe like, okay, am I very tense? Can I loosen up a bit the next time? Or am I main? Am I looking away a lot? Can I maintain eye contact? And that's kind of where the evaluation and the progressive overload kind of comes in. It's also nice because you're putting them in charge of things they can control, right? Like, are you, you can choose whether or not to make eye contact in most cases. I mean, there are certain disorders that make it more difficult, but, um, you know, that, those are things you can control. You can't really control the reaction, but what are you doing? And I really love that you're approaching this as sort of like life as an experiment. You know, it's not a failed experiment or a successful experiment. It's data is what you said. It's just data. So we're learning as we go. So you don't really have to be so invested in the results. I think people in general are so outcome driven. You know what I mean? That it's like, you know, if you get the the easy dopamine, if you get the cheese without going through the maze, it's not a win. It's actually very detrimental to what you're doing, right? So if you do everything the wrong way and somehow get the date, one, it might not be a date you want to go on because it might be somebody who's saying yes for the wrong reasons. And, and two, you haven't learned anything. You haven't developed through that, right? But if you go through the steps and get a no, you still went through the steps. And so um, as a dad, I work with that with my kids a lot, right? You know, my son plays basketball and it's like, how many points did I score? It's like, no, no, no. there's so much more to the game, right? Like my, my daughter is a gymnast and it's like, how many medals did I get? And I'm like, no, 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 let's look at your scores. Let's look at your development. Like, what did you contribute? What did you develop? You know, and it's hard. It's hard not to be outcome driven because at the end of the day, a guy that talks to five girls and gets no dates, it's, it's hard in that moment to be like, well, that was good. Um, so I think that's, that's your role to help them see the good in those, those situations. Are there any, um, you know, again, for people listening, are there any sort of common mistakes that you would encourage, you know, guys to be aware of or to be wary of? Um, you know, what do you see that people do to kind of get in their own way or to trip themselves up that maybe that they could, could avoid? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is I, I see two people, people that, you know, do get success very quickly and then people that really, really struggle. So the people that struggle are the people who that they'll go out, they'll try to be social one night and 
they'll come back and they'll be like, oh, well, I went out to this bar. I met like five new people, but at the end of the night, I like didn't get this girl's number and I wanted to, and oh man. And then it'll affect them for a very long time. You know, like a week, they'll be like upset about it or something. But then this other guy go out and do the same exact thing. Like, yeah, I met like five new people. Um, and I didn't get this girl's number, but like, I almost did like, what, what can I do? Here's what happened. And then he'll like ask us like, okay, here's what happened. What could I do next time? Like, why didn't I get her number? Was there not much of a connection or like, what, what can you tell from this interaction by the way that I describe it? Like, what could I have done to actually get a number? And then he'll, the next time that he encounters a situation like that, you know, a girl that he likes that he wants to get a number, he'll remember and he'll, and he'll improve. So I think the men that can be very objective and look at every, everything as feedback and data, they tend to have the most success. Um, you know, it's just like anything, like if you're making a podcast and like, you're not getting a lot of views, it's like, okay, well, what, what can we do? I mean, I don't, I don't really know that much about podcasts, but like, I assume. I let Ian worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just sit here and talk, but no, it's like an, like an experiment. You have to manipulate the variables, right? Like, let's change this. Did it make an effect? Nope. Okay. Let's change that. You know, that kind of stuff. So you get a microphone too. I mean, that, that makes a difference too with podcasts, just to, if we want to make a podcast example. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I knew I had this for some reason. Ian brought it in one day, so I just started using it. So I just, I just do, I sit down and do as I'm told, you know? So Makes it very easy for me. Um, one thing I want to talk about before we go, um, a lot of your work obviously is with men, I'm assuming with young men. Um, so there's a lot of noise and a lot of kind of research coming out that that young men in particular are struggling nowadays, right? There seems to be this, you know, people like to throw big emotionally charged words, epidemic of and outburst and outbreak. But it does seem like, an, you know, that young men are either experiencing different types of struggles that they than they have in the past, and the pandemic didn't help with this. The social isolation that came along with that, but there's also some mixed signals about what it means to be a man nowadays, and is it okay to be a man nowadays? Um, so I, I kind of wanted to cut through the numbers and talk to somebody who had experience with that and has experienced that themselves. Uh, first, to just kind of reality check it, like, do you get a sense that young men are struggling nowadays more or less or differently than they have in the past? And if so, what, what are those struggles? What are you seeing that's affecting young men right now? What are they struggling with? I mean, you mentioned like masculinity. I, I think taking the lead, like just being the guy to be like, all right, guys, let's do this. Like in your friend group, like, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Or just speaking your mind. Uh, I think a lot of guys struggle with speaking their mind and communicating their thoughts because I can relate to this. Like if you hold in a thought for too long and you're just like, yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Then the anger builds up and the resentment builds up. And then all of a sudden you explode. You're like, okay, you know what? I actually thought this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think a lot of men are afraid of speaking their mind because they're afraid of backlash. But what I know about like talking to, like a lot of people are afraid of criticism, right? From other people. I know that when you speak your mind and you don't get emotional about it, you just say what you want to say. There's going to be some, if somebody disagrees with you, they might get emotional. There might be backlash, but if you hold, if you're open-minded to and understand them, but if you hold to what you're saying, I mean, a, a young man, like talking to a girl, if you say an opinion, she might give you shit about your opinion. She might like be like, Oh my God, you actually think that. And then, but if you hold to it and you're just like, yeah, I think that 
and you don't get like, you don't back off. You don't like change what you're doing to try to please her or whatever. Like if you just hold to your opinion, but like I said, also stay open-minded to her. Um, holding to your opinion, I think is, is where a lot of guys think that they're being toxically masculine. Maybe I, I'm not an expert on this, to be honest. No, it's okay. No, that's, Boy. that's what I see is a lot of men are just afraid to speak their opinion. They're afraid to hold to their opinion because they don't want their girl to leave them. They don't want other people to like react emotionally to them. Um, like I can see a guy listening to this and being like, Oh, I want to go approach a bunch of girls, but I don't want to be weird though. Like, isn't it weird to go like approach five girls at a bar? It's like, well, it doesn't matter if it's weird, if, if it's good for you and you know that you're building yourself into a better man, then it doesn't matter what anybody thinks like go and do it. And like, if your intent is pure, like I'm building myself into a better man, I'm trying to make the experience of the people that I approach better. I'm like, bringing something interesting to their lives, then that's, that's what you need to remember. Um, I think people are very affected by other people's opinions. Yeah. And the old, the old joke there is if you knew how little they actually thought about you, (laughs) you probably wouldn't be, but there's that concept of imaginary audience and it's hard to shake, you know, like you're, you're the main character, right? And as you're walking through the grocery store, like everybody's looking at me and it's funny if you had their perspective, they might not even notice, you know what I mean? But we, we carry that burden of the imaginary audience. Um, and I, I, you know, full disclosure, you, you put your hands up and said, I'm not an expert. So we're not holding you to this and saying you have all the answers, but it's interesting when you talk about the masculinity part. And I am really curious about that because, you know, earlier in the podcast, I, you know, I think there's social pressures that play a role here and there's social pressures, obviously to the social anxiety, right? I'm supposed to be a certain way. I'm supposed to act a certain way. If I'm not, I'm not cool. I can't talk to girls. I can't connect. If I can't connect, I can't form intimacy. If I can't form intimacy, I'll die alone. Oh my God. You know, it spirals out of control really quick. Right. But you know, you made the comment earlier in the podcast about providing value. And you said, even being a leader and just telling a girl like, Hey, I'm picking you up at this time and I'm, we're going to go here for dinner. Cause I think it's, it's a good place. And you know, like that provided value cause alleviated that, you know, decision from her and you're showing confidence and leadership uh, being fully transparent in my head, knowing the society we live in nowadays, I was like, Ooh, the comments are going to light up on that one. They're going to light up. Right. Because I was like, somebody's going to hear that and go, well, why, why couldn't, blah, 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 blah. You know, here comes the whatabouts, you know, what about this? What about this? But as an older guy, you're right. There is value in that. It does alleviate anxiety. And the worst thing is you pick the wrong restaurant and you have something to talk about because the girl goes, this restaurant's shit. Why don't you pick this one instead? And you can laugh about it, right? So I think you're right in terms of experience, but it's so funny. I even felt that in that moment, just being transparent of like, Oh my God, he had a firm opinion on what might be good for a girl. <gasps> He's going to get it. He's going to get it. And I'm not judging that. I'm not judging it. I'm just observing it. And so I don't know, like I see that from the outside in. I wonder if you've experienced that or feel that as well. Cause even the connotations around dating coach, I wonder if you get some of that backlash sometimes. Yeah, that is, that is funny. I have to be really careful on speaking on things that I have experience with. Cause I'm not like, I'm not like the most experienced man in the world by any means. Um, but but you have your experience. You're the most experienced person in the world on your experience as a 28 year old man in this world right now. So there you go. Yeah. So I, I do notice a lot of the backlash that people get when they're like, um, when they really lean into that, like, like if they're like, yeah, men are the only leaders in a relationship. And then like, you know, the comments are like, wait, wait, no, women can be leaders too. Are you saying that 
men control women. Like it's all, you know, it gets, it gets crazy real fast when all I'm, all I'm saying is in my experience in the last uh, year or so, maybe six to eight months, when I started very simply texting a girl and going, all right, what's your schedule? Okay, cool. Meet me this day, this time. She comes on a date with me and then I buy the coffee. I sit down with her. I lead the conversation and then I go, okay, it's time to go. Give her a kiss on the cheek. Say goodnight. Ever since I've been doing that, more girls have been coming on dates with me and more girls have been texting me after the date saying, I had a really good time. Thank you. And like, even like it was very easy to come on the date with you. Like, thank you. I, I really appreciated that. So there is this idea um, where people are getting very defensive about the fact that like, you know, men are controlling or whatever, but it's not really about being controlling in that instance. It's more about just making it easy for her and being a leader. Well, and contributing, right? You said contributing to the situation. I think that's a contribution and it's so easy in the comment section or just nameless, faceless uh, feedback to sling labels and to say, well, that's misogyny or that's, you know, patriarchal article this or that's you know 1950s that and you're like no i'm just contributing like i'm just telling you i like chilies like that's where i want to go <laughs> like, you, you can say no like i'm not, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know like i'm just contributing my experience i've had a good time at chilies i like their whatever they have i don't know their, their, their appetizers or whatever their drinks or whatever you know i'm gonna go there you're like you want to go and it's like you have the right to say no it's just a, i'm contributing yeah that's a contribution and i think if we can frame that in that way as like contribution of your experience, contribution of your opinion, really a sharing of your past experience. Because if you've had good times at that restaurant or good experiences before, it kind of helps open the door for other things. So I don't know. I just think it's great. And I'm not trying to put you in a position of, you know, uh, the new Andrew Tate or anything. I mean, you got the haircut, but I'm not beyond that. I'm not like trying to put you into any kind of weird situation. But I am curious about that experience because I grew up in a different world, you know, 20 years before that. And it was it wasn't it was just different, different challenges, right? And so I see this stuff emerging. And I just wonder, as a 28-year-old guy, in the dating coaching world, in the social anxiety, I don't want to say treatment, but you know, you're working with social anxiety, I just wonder how that translates into your experience and how you feel that and if it affects you. So I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. I wasn't trying to pin you down or whatever. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's, that's an area that's very, it's entertaining for me to listen to on like po other podcasts. I'm still learning about it, but yeah, no, I, I gotta be, I don't know. Like I said, I like to stay in my lane as much as possible. Well, and we can live in the middle. People like everything, especially on, on internet and social media stuff. It's like the only the extremes tend to get a little traffic, right? Like it's always, or it's never, or the men have to always lead or the, it, it can never, you know? And so I think we can live in the middle. I think it can be sometimes and like, this is, this is kind of good. And, oh, this is kind of good too. Like it doesn't have to be so black and white and absolute. Right. And I would, I would like to say too, um, uh, just in, in that aspect, like I, I am seeing a girl right now who suggested we meet Saturday or suggested we meet a day and I was like, yeah, cool. All right, let's meet at this place this time. And it was it was almost like a team effort. She picked the day, I picked the time, and we just made it happen. So I'm in. Team effort, man. You better be careful. You're going to get yourself in a real relationship here if you're not careful. That's uh, yeah. That's what I live now in my marriage. It's a team effort all the time, I promise. So 
That's good. That's good. But take your time. But it's good. Uh, Tony, listen, man, I, I do got to wrap it up. We're over the hour. I'm having a blast. I mean, we should do this again. We definitely should. Um, but I appreciate you making the time, especially on a weekend. Is there is there anything I missed or is there anything you'd like to, you know, leave for people who might be interested in learning more about what you do or just, uh, you know, any kind of messaging you'd like to get out before we we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I guess the, the final message that I, I want to say for any guys who are like struggling with, um, they don't really feel free, like that free feeling we described, they're dealing with nervousness, being shy. Um, yeah, like today, if you were to do something, the best thing that you can do after you get off this podcast is go outside and do something that is a little bit intimidating, like something that is a little bit scarier than you normally do. Like if you normally walk down the street and you don't make eye contact with people, make eye contact with people. If you normally don't have a conversation with that cashier, have a conversation, ask where they're from. Um, if you've never approached a girl before and you're single, go approach a girl and just give her a compliment. Say you think she's attractive, be authentic. Um, you'll benefit a lot from it. You'll, you'll feel like a man afterwards. No, I appreciate that, man. That's awesome. How do people find you? A uh, Facebook, Troy Sonkrant. So T R O Y. S-O-N-C-R-A-N-T, uh, same name on Instagram. And uh, I have a YouTube channel called T-Roy Self-Help Journey. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know, that that's a little bit more personal. I have like more personal videos. I kind of do that for fun. It's got a good name. I wanted, I was interested right off the bat. It sounds fun. So listen, man, I, I appreciate you being, being here and being authentic with us. Uh, you know, as a man, some of this stuff is not easy to talk about and you're obviously comfortable telling that story. And, uh, we've had a lot of fun, but I also want to be serious for a second and let you know that just like you found that YouTuber who kind of gave you permission to be awkward. Like I have no doubt somebody's going to hear this and you've given other people permission to start their journey, to go put themselves in difficult situations. Like to be okay with not feeling okay um, in that way. So I just appreciate that because that takes a certain amount of courage and, and bravery to put that out there, right? Like, you know, we play with the, the frame of what it is to be a man. You're supposed to have it together, have all the answers. There's a lot of pressure in that, right? Um, to, to be a guy, to be a man and, and get on here and say like, I didn't have all the answers. As a matter of fact, I was lost and life's a little bit better right now because I did these things. Um, you're going to be giving other people permission to start their improvement and start their journey as well. So, uh, for them, I'll, I'll thank you. And I appreciate you so much for doing that. So I hope so, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, thank you for having me on. Awesome. And as always guys, I thank you guys for listening. Um, Ian does a fabulous job. So check out the show notes. They're probably down here or over there. I don't know where we're supposed to put down here. I put down. Okay. So they're down here. You check out the show notes. Uh, you can find Troy and all of his content and then some vital links, uh, for the information that we've shared here today. Um, you know, the, the walkway message, like Troy was saying is to put yourself in that difficult position, you know, 1% better every day. And that may mean being 1% more difficult or more uncomfortable today than you were yesterday. Um, and then just like lifting weights and everything like that, progressive overload, uh, Troy was talking about, it'll get easier. Um, it's not that life gets easier. It's that you get stronger and better able to handle it. So start that development today. Um, if you ever need any help, obviously we've, you've had the sponsorship links, but a new behavioral health is always there for you. If you need help on that journey, uh, Troy has links as well. If you want his content specifically and need help in that way. Um, and until you're ready to take that step, uh, between now and then just make sure and take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks so much. 
Hey guys, although Through Help and Back is an excellent podcast with a lot of great ideas, I do want to let you know that in no way is Through Help and Back expected to be perceived as or relied upon in any way as specific medical advice or mental health advice for you personally. The information provided through Through Help and Back on our website or our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment that can be provided by your own providers. Do not use our content in lieu of professional advice given by qualified medical professionals and do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional advice because of the information you have read on our website, heard on our podcast, or otherwise received from us. Although we love discussing issues related to healthcare, mental health, and addiction, we are not providing direct healthcare, mental health care, medical, or nutrition therapy services. We're not attempting to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical or psychological ailment, any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition. We are not giving you specific medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Please take care of yourself and take care of others as you always seek the advice of your own medical providers and your own mental health providers regarding any questions or concerns you have about your specific health or before implementing any recommendations or suggestions from us. These are ideas that have worked for other people. We think it's important to share them. We do not guarantee that they will work for you specifically. Do not stop taking any medications without speaking to your physician nurse practitioner, physician assistant, mental health provider, or any other healthcare or medical professional. And if you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, contact your own healthcare provider promptly. Also, one last thing, if you know or suspect that you are currently experiencing a crisis, it is absolutely imperative that you seek the advice of your doctor or other emergency healthcare services prior to ever thinking about using our content. We love the conversations. We're glad you're stopping by. We hope you take a lot from the content. But again, for your specific individual medical situation, please always seek quality personal care from your own providers. Do not let this uh, information or this advice stand on its own. Thanks so much for listening.